Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And then they, they came after me, and 
I didn't have the Twitter following Trent does. I hadn't been in the business as long as Trent had been. But they knew I was from Dallas. They knew I lived in Cincinnati. And they knew I had lived in Phoenix before. And so they kind of like said, well, why don't you tell us, you know, which of those places you'd most like to be? And I talked it over with my wife. And um, we kind of landed on Phoenix because this is where we met um, and where we still had a lot of friends. And I had some trepidation. I think a lot of people did. And just like, what does this, like, we think of it now, the athletic's huge. It's everywhere. Right, yeah. but at the time, it was only in a couple cities. And it was like, it, it was, you, you weren't sure if it was going to work out or whether this model would work. And so um, there was some kind of concern there that, uh, you know, and the athletic did what it could, you know, in terms of the contracts it was getting out to kind of entice people to make the leap. Um, but in the end, it kind of came down to, like, well, am I any less secure at The Athletic than I would be at any newspaper in America right now? And the answer was no, probably. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just as at risk. Um, and, you know, it was a nice change in circumstances for me uh, for a lot of reasons. And uh, in the end, it, it just kind of made sense. Although, it, I mean, my first month, even first season on the beat in The Athletic is, it w- was a little strange trying to figure out kind of the workflow and not having to write every day and what kind of stories I should be doing. And um, I was the only employee in Arizona at the time, so we didn't have a local editor here and someone to work with. And it was just kind of up to me to figure out, okay, here's what I want to write. Here's when I want to write it. Here's what road trips I want to go on. And uh, it was a lot of trial and error that first season. And I kind of felt like after that I had a better sense of, okay, here's how I need to be doing this job. Now, obviously you were in Phoenix before you come back to Phoenix. Obviously, it's a good place to be. I like it. You like it. Was it tough leaving Cincinnati, though, at the time? Uh, uh, yes and no. Um, but I don't think my wife and I were ever going to see ourselves living in Cincinnati for the rest of our lives. Right. I love Cincinnati. I love it a ton. Um, but it was just too far from our families. So uh, we... I was sad to leave Cincinnati, but I knew it was the right move, and I was happy to move back to Phoenix because we have a lot of friends here. We view this as home. We hadn't been gone from Phoenix long enough to feel like it had changed, and we got married in Phoenix while we were still living in Cincinnati, and so we had been back a lot to scout wedding venues and do wedding planning stuff, so it never really felt like we left. Right. Um, and uh, until probably now, I had been back to Cincinnati since, enough times just visiting friends and uh, we went to a couple weddings there last year where it hadn't felt like we'd left Cincinnati either. I'm sure that's going to change now that things have shut down and we would have been going back in like a week uh, for the season. But uh, I mean, it it was, I miss a lot of things about Cincinnati, but I don't like regret leaving Cincinnati. Right. Now, let's say they offered you the job, like, with the Rangers. Would you move back to Texas? Uh, well, I'm not sure how much of this is public, but that's one of the things that they had me, like, consider is, right. um, you know, you're from Dallas. Would you want to go back there? They didn't have a Dallas writer at the time. Now we have Levi Weaver, who's terrific. Um, and they actually, I was also kind of offered the ability to kind of work with Trent in Cincinnati, which had its own appeal, because Trent and I worked really well together. Right. But, um... Mostly when, even though my parents are in Dallas, when it came down to it, um, I covered the Diamondbacks before, so I had some kind of basis of knowledge and, and connections to, to, yeah. to do that. Um, my wife and I had a, a wide group of friends already in Phoenix, kind of a built-in social structure, and when I thought about it more in Dallas, like my parents were there, my sister's there, but most of my friends, like from high school, a lot of whom I'm very close with, 
have moved elsewhere across the country. Yeah. We, we would all see each other on holidays when we were all home. And so, especially for my wife, she'd be starting from scratch trying to make friends. She'd already done that once in Cincinnati, and it's hard to do in Cincinnati because everybody in Cincinnati is from Cincinnati originally. Right. And they all have their own sets of friends and plans, and they're doing family stuff all the time. It's hard to break in. Uh, and so when it came down to it, we figured, well, you know, I think we will be happy, happiest as a married couple in Phoenix, where we are both close to our families. Her family's in California. We have, like, a, a wide friend group there and, like, a social circle we're just going to plop right back into. Right. We know all the restaurants. We know what parts of town we want to live in. And um, I would get to do spring training from home. It just made sense on a lot of different reasons. And obviously, like you said, when it comes to being a part of the team in the clubhouse as well as a reporter, having those relationships with those players already, at least some of them. Uh, obviously, I know you knew uh, Paul Goldschmidt at the time, uh, Peralta at the time. How difficult would you say it is kind of like building those relationships, especially when you're like first going in? Because obviously when you started with Cincinnati, it couldn't have been easy uh, building those relationships at first. How long does that take uh, between a reporter and a player? Um, with the players, it actually doesn't take so long because you're around every day. Right. And I had a I had a really easy time building relationships in Cincinnati because I had Trent kind of to vouch for me. We worked together, so Trent's contacts became my contacts, right. and I got introduced to people. And I didn't have to do much of it myself. Um, and with, with players, it's not that hard because you're there every day in spring training, every day in the regular season. You like just the sheer exposure. You're going to get to know these guys. And so I got to know Joey Votto pretty well, and I got to know Michael Lorenzen really well, and Tucker Barnhart and all those guys. Yeah. And it, it happened again in Phoenix. Like, I'm, I'm pretty good at what they call working the clubhouse, which is not as, like, you know, it, it sounds a little nefarious, but it's not like that. It's just like you just go around and you have conversations with guys and you get to know them. What was a little more difficult was getting to know the front office in, uh, in Arizona because it had been a different front office than the one yeah. they had when I left. Um, it was a front office that compared to Cincinnati was a little less interested in sharing parts of the plan, either on or off the record, why they're doing certain things, a little more suspicious of reporters. The other two reporters in the market here had gotten to know them already. I had to start that process from scratch and get to know them and how often I could contact them, what you know, the kind of things they would tell me, what would be asking too much of them. And at first season was a lot of trial and error with that um since then we've kind of gotten to a place where i know them pretty well i know what i can ask them what they would be willing to tell me they know what i'm about and that i'm not trying to pry you know the latest triple a signing out of them that yeah. I'm, i want big picture kind of deeper stories and we've gotten to a place where you know we work pretty well together and we have a good understanding of each other um, but it took some work to do that. And yeah, right. all, the only way to do that, there's no shortcut to it. It's just you gotta, you just got to deal with these people and be upfront with them and explain, okay, hey, this is what I'm looking for, and you, you're going to have some mistakes where you take them off and maybe they do something that takes you off and feel like, why you got, why couldn't you tell me this? Like, you, I would have been fine with it. You should trust me more. Not that we had blow-ups or right, anything. Yeah. We didn't. But it just takes it just takes time to, to it's kind of like a forced marriage a little bit like they have to work with me I have to work with them and it took a little bit to figure out our rhythms for each other but now we're in a place where you know we we understand each other really well. 
Now, given that you just said that, how did everybody uh, feel about the whole Madison Bumgarner story? Obviously, uh, the whole Mason Saunders story. He does rodeos back home. Is yeah. it North Carolina or was it actually in Arizona that he was, was doing? It was in that? Arizona. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, things shut down too quickly to really get an answer to that question. Um, <laughs> Fair. Uh, my impression is the organization is happy that they know now that he was doing this. Yeah. So they don't oh, regret yeah. finding out. And they can thank me for that. Like, I'm, <laughs> me and Andrew Bagley are the reason they know. Um, I don't think Madison Bumgarner is very happy that it got out. I never got the chance. You know, he, he spoke to me and Bags at the time for the story. Yeah. He was a little nervous about it and obviously, like, displeased that this was out there now. But he seemed <laughs> to understand, like, okay, you found it. Like, uh, yeah, it was me, you know. Um he would prefer that we hadn't found it, but he understood that we had our job to do. Uh, I hadn't had the opportunity since to really, like, figure out where I stood with him. Right. Um, and by by this point, we would have had that figured out if the season was going. Like, he would have made four or five starts by now. I would have had a chance to, to talk with him, not even just about that, but just to get a sense of how we were going to interact. We just didn't have that, in, that opportunity in spring training. Um, and so that, that'll have to wait, and maybe the long layoff will, you know, it'll be ancient history. I have no idea. But um, my understanding from Bags is that Madison gets it. He understands yeah. how reporters should. Um, and, you know, as long as you're straightforward with a guy, he'll be straightforward with you. And so I'm not too worried about it long term. Um, even if he doesn't like me, you know, you have to, as a reporter, you have to be able to live with some people not liking you or getting along with you. and just like with the front office, you you have to interact with each other, so you have to at least get it to a point where it's manageable and workable, yeah. and you you can both do your jobs, but you don't have to be best friends. Right, you're both professionals. Now, have you ever had a situation like that before? And if yes, how did you go about uh, uh, handling a situation where a player didn't really see eye to eye with what you had reported or wrote about? I, I've had that situation before a couple times. Um, and you, you look, you just the first thing you have to do is you have to show if you write something that a player doesn't like, you have to show up the next day. Yeah. Because they don't want it. You don't want the impression that you're hiding from them. You know, it, sometimes it, that's not what it is. Sometimes you have a scheduled off day the next day. But you, you try and be there if you can. Because and I've had players who want to air me out on things, and managers who want to air me out on things, and I let them say their piece. You know, and I'm not. I'm not. Most of the time, I'm not going to try to argue with them. Like. I've said what I want to say in the story. Right. And we, we may have a discussion about why I did a certain thing or wrote a certain thing or believe a certain thing, and sometimes they get really angry at me. It hasn't happened a ton, maybe three or four times in my career, but uh, you just have to let them get it off their chest. Like, that's, that's you know, even if you think they're 100% wrong, you have to recognize that the relationship is going to, like, get worse yeah. unless you let them get it off your chest. Because most of the time, after that, it's over. Like, you've both moved on. Um, but I've had that where I've had to talk it out with guys. And with one player in particular who, whose defense I wrote about and he didn't like, um, he, he wanted to air me out. At first, he was like a little clip to me in a group setting. And, like, I had to stop and say, hey, are, is there something we need to talk about? Are we okay? And he, he wanted to, like... He got on my, on my case a little bit. Yeah. And I told him, like, look, I hear what you say, and I want you to do me a favor. Just give me the night to think about it, and I promise I'll, if, if I roll it over my head and I think of something that I could have done better, I will come back tomorrow, and I'll tell you that, and I'll tell you I'm sorry. 
in that particular instance, like I, I believed in 90% of what I did, but uh, there was maybe 10% that I thought, you know what, if I could have improved this, uh, I, I wish I would have done that. And that I will own up, up to. And you have to be honest with yourself. Like, yeah. You're not going to be perfect either. Um, but there's there's still uh, one person in baseball who I wrote something they didn't like, and I'm I'm dead to that person. Wow. And I have to I have to be okay with that. And it's still a person that if I ran into him in an elevator, you know, we would say hello. Right. But it, it would it would stop at there. You know, I know I can't go to that person for anything anymore, and I I'm not going to try and get something out of that person. I'm gonna, that, if that person wants something to do with me, I'm going to respect that. Um, and it's thankfully a person that I don't have to deal with on uh, like a super daily basis. Like if it were the starting first baseman for the Diamondbacks, then we would have to work something out. Right. That's just not a, a, a tenable situation. Um, but you just have to learn to be okay with a few people not liking you as long as you're confident and that, that how you handled the situation was the correct one. Now, obviously, in that situation, players you're dealing with every day, any issues with any front offices to this point? So I feel like that would be a lot more detrimental to be on their bad side as opposed to their good side. Yes. You always, I've had, yeah, I've had disagreements with people in the front office. Um, and, uh, but never something that, like, threatened my access. You right. know, you're always able to talk it out. Um, the front office still has to, to deal with me, you know? Right. Um, not in like a, like, oh, I'm going to get them if they don't, but, uh, it's just, you know, the reporters, you have to deal with the beat reporters. It's just part of your job as a member of the front office. And, uh, I've never written something so super critical of the team that like I threatened to burn bridges. Right. I mean, I would do that if I had something like that to write, but, um, most of the time, like you have to approach this job with players and front office members from the standpoint of like most of these guys are doing their best you know they're 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 making their best decisions they can they're playing as best as they can if things are going wrong it's not because they want them to go wrong right um and so if you approach it with that kind of level of empathy that like this is a person who's trying if they're not getting the job done believe me nobody wishes they were getting the job done more than they do right um you can avoid a lot of issues like that where if you just want to kill a GM for a movie made, if you at least acknowledge that, like, look, obviously they wouldn't have made this move if they didn't think it was a good one. It didn't work out. Maybe here's what we can learn from it. Or would they take it back if they could? Right. Uh, as opposed to saying, oh, this guy should be fired, you know. I mean, you have to treat their track record honestly, but also you have to recognize that they're human. Right. And they want right. to do well at their jobs. Yeah. And on your end, you... Like, yes, you have to keep it as professionally profound to make them look good, but at the same time, you got to tell it like it is sometimes when people aren't playing well or things yeah. in the front office aren't going as planned. Who would you say is, uh, or what would you say is your best um, story that you've covered in your career thus far? Uh, that is thankfully an easy question. It's a story <laughs> I did on Michael Lorenzen, and I think it rained in February of 2017. It's about his relationship with his father. Oh, wow. Um, the season before he had, this is before he became like, you know, everybody knew he was an incredible two-way player. Right. But the season before he had left the team because his dad died unexpectedly. Um, and then he, when he came back, his first game back, he got into a gaming pitch and got in a bat and hit, I, I hit what I think was his first career home run. It was yeah. a super, super emotional moment, obviously, for him. 
and I wrote about it at the time, but there were like all these layers to it that I wasn't able to get into. And that those layers were that his he didn't really have a relationship with his father until very recently. Like his father left when he was like twelve, right? Fleeing a warrant for his arrest and, and moved from California to Nevada. Didn't really see his kids after that. Struggled with alcoholism and drug use, um, and so he kind of lost touch with his father. And then because of that, as a result of that, um, Michael himself like kind of flirted with some bad habits in terms of drinking and drugs and nothing so serious that he was going to OD, but he, yeah. when he looks back now, he says, like, I was on a bad path. I wouldn't be where I am now. Um, and it was, I, I did a story kind of on, like, the backstory of that home run and uh, Lorenzen's journey and uh, how he got to where he is and his relationship with his father that he was only just starting to repair before he died and kind of what that home run really meant to him and you know, he's a very religious guy, and he, he still, at least at the time, had had fears that his, his dad was not going to heaven. Right. Um, and he kind of broke down crying, talked about it. And that, like, when I went out to go do the story, I had no idea it had that level of depth to it. But that's, like, what a terrible thing to, to worry about. Oh, yeah. It's something you just, you can't, you have no control over. Because um, it'd, be, it'd be super easy for, you know, if you have a certain belief system, it's super easy to just kind of bend the theoretical rules your own benefit and say that you know if someone hasn't done this or that you know they don't get into the afterlife oh but you know for my i'm sure my family's there you know like that that will happen and he wasn't willing to 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 bend those rules for himself which i think speaks to his integrity of his belief system that if if he believes it he believes it yeah um and it, it leaves him with this um kind of deep worry over the fate of his father and that he wants to see his father again he's that one again and I've written a lot of stories that I've really liked but that one just spoke to to issues like way bigger than sports way bigger than sports and he was so open with me and uh, that's that's my favorite story now when it comes to writing a story like that obviously you're with him working on that like together in a way right because you want to get every single detail correct when it's a story so emotional like that sure yeah well what we did is uh, he was living in San Diego at the time and uh, the Inquirer sent out uh, me and a photographer to spend a weekend with him and so we most of the reporting was done over that weekend uh, but it took me like a, a month after that to, to write the story yeah um, and I was going through public record stuff to find stuff out about his father and I was checking back with him every now and then hey did I get this right and um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't show him the story before it ran. Um, that's a journalistic no-no. Yeah. And there were some things like there, there was information about his older brother who had been a prospect of the Dodgers and got uh, arrested and released. And um, it, I thought it was germane to the story. And um, I had every right to use that information in the story if I wanted. It's public information. Right. But because, because Michael had been so open with me, I, I, I don't think I gave him, like, veto power over it but I let him know ahead of time like hey look I found this about your brother um I think it's it, it relates to the story but I wanted you to know ahead of time and I wanted to see how you felt about it if I were to use this in the story just to, to explain the effect that your father's like leaving had on your family um and he was a little worried about it he checked with his older brother his older brother said it was fine and um, I made sure to mention that since these troubles, his older brother has a family and is a proud father and like his, you know, this hasn't derailed his life. Um, but you need a certain sense of collaborativeness. Yeah. But 
not so much that you let the subject dictate the story. You know, sometimes what su the subject thinks is a story is not the story to an impartial observer. Uh, this was not one of those cases, but um, you have to keep a certain amount of remove and, and, and be upfront with the understanding that, like, thank you for sharing the story, you know, but I, I've got to do with it what I see is best for it. You know? Right. I mean, to me, like, I wouldn't have known in a million years that the guy had that uh, uh, story, obviously, with his father leaving at a young age, kind of reconciling towards the end, uh, had his own issues, like you said, not too detrimental to the point where, like, he almost OD'd or anything like that, because the guy is in the best shape that anybody could be in, especially for a baseball player. I mean, the guy could be a linebacker. I mean, for a pitcher, I mean... Pitchers don't have biceps like that. I mean, yeah. it's insane. Uh, do you believe? Do you think that? Um, obviously, this is the question that's been kind of been up in the air over the past couple of weeks because they said that they may want to move all thirty teams to Arizona. Then it went from uh, keeping them in their grapefruit and cactus leagues for the season. Do you even think that baseball is going to be played in twenty twenty? In what capacity? Uh, I doubt it will be. Yeah. Um, the big hurdle here is testing. Uh, if you can get the testing done. All the other things are just a matter of what someone's willing to put up with. Right. Um, the testing is what you need. And we as a country are nowhere near the capacity of testing that we would need to, to open anything again. Right. Um, Arizona in particular is in the bottom 10 of states in terms of per capita testing. We've, there are over 6 million people that live in the Phoenix area alone. We've the state has tested about 54,000 people for COVID-19. That's not enough to be able to to send people out there. And if you're going to do this baseball stuff, you need to have enough testing that everybody who actually needs tests can get them, not just enough for players to get tested every day and right. taking them away from healthcare workers and sick people. Um, I just don't see a way that that gets built up enough. Uh, we've had two months to build up the testing, and we haven't to the point when we need it. So I have my doubts that we will get there. Now, if we do get there, I think the rest, it, it, if you look at, like, can it be done? Yes. Right. Would the system work to allow baseball games? Yes. But then you have other issues of like, you're playing out here in Arizona. What time of day are you playing? And how does that work for teams back east? And you're looking at things like, would players want to just be stuck in the hotel and only go into the ballpark and never get to actually sit next to a teammate or give them a high five? And would they take a pay cut to do it? And would hotel workers want to also be sequestered in hotel rooms because you can't have them going home and, and stuff? They'd have to stay in these hotels for months if that's how long the season's going to take. Does anybody want to do that? Right. Uh, there are all sorts of other issues involved with it, but there are issues of, like, personal preference. The one issue that is, like, a non-negotiable is, like, there have to be enough tests. And so if we can get there, maybe it can work out. I still have my doubts, but... Uh, Without the testing, it's it's ridiculous to even talk about. And even like let's say they kept in their perspective spring training leagues, grapefruit, cactus. Obviously, warm weather is gonna bite the disease in the summertime. But like I think A Rod was alluding to it, like you like asking baseball players to play in 115 degree weather all season long, at least for the summer months. June, July, August, like, that's a ton to ask for. Like, obviously, like, I feel like this season's going to have an asterisk next to it anyways, the way it's already been. Like, it's going to be May next week, and there's still no baseball. Like, 
to me, like it would be interesting to see potentially a scenario where there's an X amount of games played, maybe all 30 teams uh, are postseason eligible, and you kind of have like that scramble towards the end. Uh, obviously, you can't play a World Series game in December or January, given this. You can't play all 162 games unless you're in a, a, a dome somewhere off-site, maybe like the Tokyo Dome or something. I don't know. But to me, like it would be interesting to see something like that uh, take place where um, obviously nobody's going to really take the season as serious as it would if it was a normal baseball yeah. season. But at least it would add some intrigue for the fan base who obviously is not going to get an opportunity to be at those games. Because even if they had a season, it would probably be in empty stadiums for the most part. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, if we get to the point of being able to play baseball, I'm all for, like, mixing it up. You're right. Yeah. This season's kind of like a, you know, it's a freebie. Do whatever you want with it, you know. Um, and so I, I would think that, it, it, you know, again, if there's enough testing, if we get the virus under control in enough places that there are enough dome stadiums or retractable roof stadiums to just have, like, five or six teams go play three doubleheaders a day, you know? Yeah. Like, you, you've got Safeco, you've got Chase Field, you've got the new Rangers ballpark, you've got the Astros ballpark, you've got Tropicana Field, you've got the Miami ballpark, you've got uh, Miller Park in Milwaukee. There are enough dome stadiums that if you could put five or six teams in each one of those and just say... You're, you're here for the season. You're going to play every team, like, round robin in your new division or whatever. Right, yeah. And then we'll figure out the playoffs later. Like, that might be kind of interesting. It'd be different. Um, yeah, I'm sure they seem to get way tired. Of them, but, <laughs> um, uh, but it'd be, especially if you're, like, putting some, signing some teams together that don't often get to play each other. Oh, yeah. You know, if, if you're doing Safeco and, say, you're putting – uh, you know, the San Francisco Giants into that division along with the Rockies and along with the Oakland A's or something like that would be interesting. You don't get to see the, the Giants and the Mariners play a ton. Um, it'd be the same if, you know, if you're the Rangers and you've got the Royals coming there or, or you know, other teams in the NL Central or something. Like maybe the, the Cubs start playing the Rangers a ton. That'd be interesting. So I'm all for, like, mixing it up if we can get to a point where we can play baseball without, like, adversely affecting the rest of society. Oh, my God, I know. I mean, to me, that'd be awesome for, like, about two weeks, and then you're like, okay, they're playing in the same stadium all the time, though. Like, what, 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 what would obviously be those ballparks? Obviously, New York, New Jersey, Dunzo. I'm in New Jersey right now. Not getting out anytime soon. But obviously, like, um, Arizona, obviously, numbers are way down. They have been since the beginning. Um, Florida, obviously, California's numbers are up. Like, what would be those ballparks that they'd say, oh, okay, we could play here? Um, well, I mean, if we're looking at kind of where the virus is kind of under control, Washington may get there. So yeah. Safeco may become an option. Um, maybe like a month from now, maybe right. no time soon. Um, Chase Field, obviously, um, you know, if you're doing this biodome plan well enough, where, you know, these guys go from the hotel to the ballpark and everybody else involved goes only from the hotel to the ballpark. The state of the virus in other places, as long as there's enough testing, I, I would think would be less of an issue because these guys aren't coming into contact with everybody else. Right. That's being strictly regulated. Um, so I would think you could do it in the Rogers Center. Or, you know, the, the virus is going crazy in Florida, but I would think you could do it at Tropicana Field and at Marlins Ballpark. and. Um, you could do it in Texas at the two ballparks there. Yeah. Um, there, there are enough of these dome stadiums where you could do this kind of biodome plan um, and have enough stadiums for every team to play in. 
maybe you can get to the point where some of these teams rotate around a little bit, and so you're mixing it up. But thankfully, there are enough covered ballparks to be able to do this, no matter the time of year. Now, when I obviously when I first heard this with uh, COVID nineteen, obviously shutting down everything, shut down NBA first. Uh, obviously, XFLs they they went under, right? They're they're done for the most part. Uh, MLB obviously was next. The one thing that I thought because the biggest story since January has been the Houston Astros and their sign stealing stuff. Uh, the first thing I thought was, man, like if anybody's benefiting from this, it's going to be the Houston Astros because nobody's talking about them anymore. Do you think when the season starts up again, whether it's later this year, even if it's in 2021, do you think all of that's going to come back? Or do you think that if there's like a possibility that there's a 12-month layoff here, um, uh, obviously the 2020 season just completely wiped out of the ordinary, do you think that this Houston Astros stuff is just going to go away? Or do you think as soon as the season starts that it's just all going to come back and hit them in the face? I don't think it'll I think it's somewhere in between those two things I don't think yeah. it's going to go away completely right. um, I think Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman and those guys are going to get booed wherever yeah. they go whenever baseball resumes I don't think Jet Blue now is going to be back in baseball anytime soon AJ Inch maybe um, but uh, I don't think it will be as vociferous as it would have been uh, if it had, you know the season had never been delayed Right. Um, just because like Season, even spring training, like every day, there seemed to be some new headline about the Astros, and this player is upset, or this, you know, that and the other, or this guy hasn't been contrite enough, or some new details about their system and what they were doing, and uh, it was just building to a point where those first games in the regular season in an unfriendly ballpark for them were just going to be brutal, um, and it would have died down a little over the course of the season, but it would have been like a theme all the way through the season, and maybe after this season would have been like, okay, we've moved on to some other story now. Like, we, we'll always be, have a small subset of people who are upset about this, but the, the rest of baseball has moved, largely moved on. Um, I think it'll be less than that going forward, but I still think they're going to hear it. Um, it's going to be a present thing, but it's not going to be like the story of the season, which is what it was going to be this year. Right. Do you think that if, obviously, the season went on as planned, uh, then all this didn't happen, obviously they were enemy number one in the eyes of uh, the 29 other teams. Do you feel as if that, like, if this season went on as planned, that the Houston Astros would have seen a lot of retaliation from other teams? Because some people say yes, and other people are like, no, just play the game, just beat them. Like, that's the best thing that you could do. But do you think, to me, like, this year was going to be so interesting to see how many teams actually wanted to go toe-to-toe with the Houston Astros, how many brawls there potentially could have been uh, given what they did, and how many people were kind of pissed by it? Yeah, I, I do think that they would have seen their more than their fair share of plunkings. Um, I, I would hope that the game has largely moved away from that as like yeah. a way to police the game. But I think the players are upset that the, the players involved didn't get suspended, um, which is ironic considering that the reason the players involved didn't get suspended is because the union would not allow that to happen. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I do think we would have seen some of that. I think it, it, it might have like blown itself out after April or something. Like, you know, they would have been plunked enough that the rest of baseball said, okay, okay, this is enough. Or, or to the point where a manager or the, the commissioner would have to step in and say, like, look, any more plunkings, you know, someone's going to get popped. Um, the difficulty there being that the got suspended for plunking an Astro, that person would have been, um, so that's an optics thing. Right. Um, 
got five rapid questions for you. Five more before I let you go. Okay. First, first question. I guess this is kind of a general question. Uh, if you could cover a any story with any non-athlete, who would it be? Oh wow! Uh, any story with any non-athlete? Yeah. Um, it's kind of cop out, but I I would probably write about TV. I would I would love to like be a TV like maybe not a critic, but a TV reporter and like an entertainment reporter. You know the the way that guys from GQ go and spend yeah yeah yeah. A, a week with Larry David. Did, did you read that story a couple months ago? It was awesome. Oh yeah. I would love to. I would love to do that. That that would probably be what I want to do. Who would you want to do one with? Like if you could work uh, with somebody, which uh, type of actor or actress would you want to work with in TV? I I would want to do a profile on Taika Waititi, who directed What We Do in the Shadows and uh, Jojo Rabbit and Hunt for the World of People. Oh yeah, yeah. Or Ragnarok. Uh, him, him, and then if I can combine them, Jermaine Clement and uh, Brett McKenzie from Plot of the Concourse. I oh, wow. Wanna, I would want to, like, do a story on them. See, if I were to go the TV route, I'd probably go, um, th- I think this is one of the most underrated shows ever, How I Met Your Mother. It went away way too soon, and, uh, I can tell by the expression on your face, I don't know if you've seen it or not, uh, but... I, I've never watched it, no. Oh. I know people are really upset with that. How one. dare you? Yeah, it was very, it was very, uh, very uh, upsetting the way it ended. They kind of like put the f- the final episode, the finale was like forty years bunched into one episode. It's like they could have had thirteen more seasons if they wanted to to tell that story. Right. But I definitely would want to do a story on like Neil Patrick Harris, how uh, he played basically a womanizer on TV when he's the exact opposite in real life. Um, yeah. What, um, what would be going forward for you? What would be the biggest? I don't want to say accomplishment, like, but the biggest thing that you want to accomplish in your career at the athletic or anywhere else. I'm at a point in my career where I'm like pretty happy with where I am, but I would at some point, and I have no idea what it would be about. I'd like to write a book. Okay. I, I don't have I don't have any book ideas at the moment, um, but uh, that's that's kind of a challenge. That if I found the right subject and I could really dig into it the way I wanted to, I would. I'd be interested in trying to write a book. Like just uh, nonfiction, fiction, like any any type of book. Not, as opposed nonfiction. To... No, I, I I don't I don't have a novel in me. Like, I'm not, <laughs> a storyline. Yeah. I'm good at telling other people's stories, and I can't come up with one of my own. Um, the people who can't do that, it blows my mind to be that creative and build a whole world like that. Um, but I, I would I would want to write like a, a, a biography of someone or digging into a certain. Like a season of baseball with one team or something, just and really do a good book, a good sports book. So more like an autobiography, more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. So like, and there's there's so many good. Uh, you know, Jeff Perlman writes really great right. sports nonfiction books, and just he finds a subject that he finds interesting, and he says, you know what, I think there's a book here, and he writes he writes the book. Um, he's turned that into career after having uh, spending a long time in Sports Illustrated. That kind of stuff is what I want to do, just like. Something that what I would now think of as like a really good article, like no, there's more here. There's like 500 pages here or something. Like right. this should be a book, that kind of thing. Um, favorite band? Oh man, uh, you know I'm not super huge on music. Really? Um, I, my tastes are kind of eclectic. Uh, I mean, I follow music, but I don't like I don't keep up with right, music right, right, or whatever. Right. Um, I like Tyler the Creator a lot. Okay, he's a uh, He's uh, his album 
not Igor. I liked Igor a lot, the most recent album, but the one before that, Flower Boy, was like, I could listen to that over and over and over. I love that album. And then I have, like, I have weird taste. I also like Billie Eilish. I think the okay. music's really good. Yeah. Um, I like the band Heim. Um, and I also like, like, show tunes and stuff. I did musical theater in high school. Like, uh, so, like, I'm all, I'm all over the map when it comes to music. You know, rap, pop, musical theater, you know, I guess uh, I guess Heim would be like pop rock or whatever. Yeah. But, um, Alternative. I, 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 I don't follow like certain scenes really, so I'm like like up on like who's the hot new rap artist or whatever. Yeah. But, like if you're an artist and like oh I like that I'll I'll buy the album and then like I, then I will follow that artist. Right. You know? Well, that's good. Good to be well rounded. Um, favorite like let's say you wanted to do a broadcast on television, any sport. Who would you want to be your broadcast partner? Uh. Well, okay. Well, let me ask you this: Am I doing play by play or am I doing color commentary? I guess that's fair. Um, you would be doing play-by-play, I guess. So, actually, actually, color, because I actually want it to be a real broadcaster as opposed to, like, a former player analyst type. So, so you're, you're the color um, guy. Marty Brennan. Marty, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you were in Cincinnati for all those years, too. Yeah, Marty is one of my favorite humans. And he is... I know people in Cincinnati like to gripe about his opinions, but in terms of his skill at calling a game, there is nobody better. To me, I, fi- I find it so fascinating that both Morty was there, obviously doing his thing, and then Tom Brenneman was also there uh, yeah. doing TV. Like I find that so fascinating that the father-son duo, they're both doing their own thing for one team for so many years. Uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you, one night out with anybody, like if this was, if this was like the one person that you could potentially... Uh, uh, go to dinner with what would you eat who would it be with and uh, what would you guys be doing oh man this is a, this is a deep question yep um, what would I eat I mean I, I am are you a big food guy less in the food than I am I mean I like food but I eat it too quickly to like really like appreciate it yeah. nuance um, so I don't have like a lot of favorite restaurants or anything or dishes um, I probably eat ice cream I love ice cream um and, and who and what we would be doing? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think it'd be anybody in sports because I'm, I'm right. on sports yeah. too much that I just view these people as normal people now. I don't get starstruck. I have the hugest crush on Rashida Jones, so she's a candidate. Wow, okay. But I'm also married and my wife is <laughs> so maybe not. Um, you know, I probably, again, I do the Fly to the Concords guys. I okay. got to meet them once in college, very briefly. And I would really like to hang out with Jermaine Clement. He seems hilarious. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure what we would be doing. Um, maybe I'd be backstage at a Fly to the Concords concert or something like that. Interesting. Backstage at the concert. Wouldn't you be on stage, though? I, I guess maybe I'd be, like, touring with them. Or something like, it was part of, like, the tour crew. Maybe, like, you know, just hanging out on tour with Fly to the Concords. That would be what it, I would be. Ooh. And eating ice cream. That's interesting. I, I would be... Probably at Yankee Stadium, my go-to place, eating a ribeye with uh, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters. Okay. That, that would be an interesting. That would be an interesting I conversation. I don't listen to a ton of Foo Fighters other than like what's on the radio. Yeah. Which is a lot. Um, but Dave Grohl seems, seems like a very funny guy. But oh yeah. Be a, be a good time. You don't even have to be a rock guy or a Foo Fighters guy at all. Like you just said, like yeah. if you know the guy, like he seems like a sweetheart. Yeah. I'd love to talk to him. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Obviously, everybody's in quarantine. Have you gotten your uh, quarantine haircut yet? I have, yeah. Really? Uh, my, wife, my wife did it last week. It turned out okay. 
See, I, I, I have long blonde hair. Oh, wow. So, like, I don't want to mess with it at all. Like, I, I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've contemplated, but, like, it's not going to be worth I, it once we get out. Yesterday online, I bought some new haircutting equipment for the next time we do this because I think what, what went wrong with my haircut, which was not a lot, we, like, made it work, was, uh, was an equipment issue. Our scissors weren't very sharp. My, my clippers didn't have the right settings to do a proper fade on the yeah. sides. So next time, we're going to be prepared. No, a lot of people are obviously, now this is going to be my real last question, a lot of people are obviously athletes, other people who are just, like, in school are, like, shaving their heads bald. Like, obviously, as, like, a professional reporter, is a certain hairstyle to, like, the nth degree required? I could could shave it all off if I wanted. The issue here is my wife's having a baby in two weeks. (laughs) We're going to be taking photos with this baby, and she wants to make sure I don't look like an idiot. Beard down Um, to here, bald. Yeah, yeah, so uh, that's not an option for now. Maybe if we get into, like, July or something, um, that would be an option. And I would have never considered it before all this, but, you know, at a certain point your hair gets so long, you're just like, whatever, just get rid of yeah. it, you know. Um, but she did a, a solid enough job cutting my hair last time, but I think I think we won't have to resort to that. I'm so dumb. I forget my tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube